This podcast is brought to you by First Steps NZ. We're about health and well-being for business. Where do business leaders begin when it comes to looking after their mental health? How they understand what the pressure and stress is doing to their body, who to talk to about it, and how they recover, all the while keeping their business going strong. Welcome to the Leadership and Mental Wellbeing Podcast with Michael Barnett and First Steps. Each week bringing you real and in-depth insight into the mental health of New Zealand's business leaders. Hi, I'm Michael Barnett and this is First Steps. Today I have Greg Foran with me, Chief Executive in New Zealand. Greg, welcome. Thank you, glad to be here. A large number of the business leaders that I'm speaking to at the moment, they're performing, but performing under pressure. And one of the things that we we hear from them is that the workloads that they have lead to stress and anxiety. How do you manage in the environment that you're in to, A, deal with the workload, and B, prevent from stepping into that area? Yeah, I, I well, first of all, I, I would actually agree that the role of a chief executive has changed considerably over the last 20 years. Um, you know, when I first took on a chief executive role, your responsibilities were clearly to your customers and then primarily, I think, to your shareholders, so customers and shareholders. I think the world's changed a lot over the last couple of decades and you now have a different relationship with your staff than what you had 20 years ago. You have a different relationship with your suppliers. And then, of course, you have a different relationship with the communities that you have to be involved in. Mm. And with social media taking such a significant um, stance, you can't ignore these other stakeholders and if you do, you, you do it at your peril. So, you know, it used to be pretty tough being a chief executive 40, 30, 20 years ago. I think it's much harder today because you're now having to deal with a wider group of stakeholders and you're dealing with wicked problems. You know, for us, a wicked problem could be how do you solve, um, you know, um, net carbon? Zero. Well, gee, it's not just as simple as saying, well, I'll tell you what, we're you know, just going to put some sustainable aviation fuel in. Um, so harder problems, different set of stakeholders, different environment. So you know, how, how you deal with it is, I think, a couple of things come to mind. One is, you know, first of all, you, you have to build up a muscle, just like you do if you're training to run a race or you're... Um, you know, part of some other sporting team. So you get better at it the more you do and you, you build this muscle. And then secondly, I think it puts a lot more onus on you as the chief executive to surround yourself with incredibly capable people to lighten the load and to share the load. So those are two things that, that I do in this increasingly complex environment. Is a Part of that stakeholder group, um, if I have a look at the, the, the team that you talk about, the people you surround yourself with, has the chief exec's role changed to the degree that the relationship there has changed? Um, 
Yeah, I think I think it does because what happens is you're now dealing, as I said, with you know what I would term wicked problems. That mm. you know some of these problems are, are just not solvable, probably in your tenure. Um, but that doesn't mean that you you don't commence the process to start solving them. Um, you know the the other thing that I think is increasingly apparent to me anyway is how important it is to have the very best people working with you. And, um, you know, what I've seen over the years is that the difference between someone who is, if you like, sort of mediocre to someone who is an outstanding, exceptional performer, um, you get about seven times more value out of the exceptional performer. So it's not like they give you double what someone who is mediocre provides, or you get three times, you get seven times. So go hunting for those people, and once you've got them, don't let them go, because they go a long way to not only lightening the load, but setting the organisation up for success in the future. And when you're looking for that person who's going to give you that seven times there's a set of skills that does the job. For you, do you have to think about the empathy and the empathetic relationship that you're going to need to have with them in order to keep them, in order that they can perform at that level? Yeah. Yeah, you do. And and I think that absolutely comes first. And, you know, I I will often say that I'm a, I'm a fan of Drucker, you know, yeah. culture eats strategy for breakfast, and that is the most important thing. And and part of that culture is, I think, that increasingly businesses today have to be purpose driven. So you you have to have a purpose for your staff to you know for them to want to get out of bed. In fact, even to come to the office, they they may decide they want to work from home. I'm a believer that you need a bit of both, mm. um, some type of hybrid relationship. But, you know, to to have, you know, a purpose-driven culture which then builds a strategy and into that you're then looking for people who can buy into that that sense of purpose. You know, if it was, if it was Walmart, it was about... You know, you want to help people save money so they can live a better life. And that's the raison d'etre. That's, that's why you do what you do. If you're in Air New Zealand, it's about, I want to be able to allow New Zealanders to connect with one another and then to be able to connect with the rest of the world. That's our raison d'etre. So a purpose which then drives the culture that you want to create, which then leads to a strategy which builds into developing a team of people that can buy into that, you know, uh, recipe that you want to create. And that big why that you talk about, um, I get that, but there'll be so many people that will want to be a part of your why for a purpose for Air New Zealand, but it will be that <clears throat> that one because of the values that you have and the relationships that you have with people that make them feel good 
about coming to work, about pursuing your why. Yeah. Yeah, so so you're right. So here, here's my purpose. You know, we want to we want to connect people with each other, connect them around the world, and then, you know, what what are going to be the principles and the values that you then want to subscribe to your company? Mm. And I guess over the years, and you know, I've been around a bit now, Michael, and I've seen lots of these value statements. Yep. You know, and in, in, in fact, Walmart actually took these off IBM. And, you know, incredibly value-driven company, but, you know, uh, Sam happened to be visiting with them and uh, had one of his colleagues with him, and, and as they left the office, they went, gee, they look pretty good, wrote them down and made some adjustments, and that's how that all came together. So, you know, you come up with your set of values, and as mm-hmm. I said, five different countries, um, worked in different businesses. A lot of the values can actually, you, you can see them play out in different organisations, different cultures. But then it comes down to how well you live them. And isn't this the real key to it? And if there's a, a sentence here that maybe sums up how I feel about this, it's how do you live up to your values when no one's looking? Because that really yep. determines... <clears throat> whether you're for real or whether they're just a set of statements that maybe collectively the team came up with. But that's okay till we get to the end of the quarter. And then when we get to the end of the quarter and we have to deliver the result for the share market, oh, hang on a minute, we'll we'll, we'll just put that one to the side. Or, as I said, what do you do when no one's looking? I smiled at you then because you took my argument away because my next question was a set of values or a set of behaviours. And when I think I know you a little bit and I would have said that I look at you and I see behaviours, which to me is much more important than a set of values. That's right. And that answers your question, I think. Yeah. 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 One point for talking, nine points for doing. Yep. Indeed. Let me, um, just having a look at that time and that pressure conversation, I think one of the the pressure points that we see so many chief executives or managers, um, they find themselves under pressure, but they find themselves under pressure by not saying no, by saying yes too many times. How do you say no, or how do you put yourself in an environment where you can say no and not be offensive? Yeah, it is the the one of the critical aspects, isn't it? You know, um, strategy is actually as much about deciding what you're not going to do yep. versus what you are going to do. And airlines are no different than retailers. There's never a shortage of things to do, whether it be finding new places to fly or new products to design. Um, you know, I, I, I think it is a critical skill to be able to work out how to get to simplicity. Mm. And to do that well, you have to first deal with complexity. But to get to simplicity on that far side of complexity and in doing so, limit what you're going to focus on and then get the organisation to buy into that. And I think that's a combination of absolutely taking people on the journey so that they can see 
through you know, a good fact base that this is why this is the right thing to do and this is a higher priority than that. Mm. Limiting resources, because often when you limit resources, you can end up with a better result because it, it helps you focus. And then a degree of, quite frankly, being quite obstinate and um, with a smile on your face, yep. just say, that's a really good idea, Michael, but we're not doing that this year. Right. Um, and, and sometimes you have to do that with the board as well. So it's not just ideas that are coming from the bottom up. Often they're ideas coming from the top down. And once again, it's, it's using a good fact base because um, the facts are the facts, mm. facts. We're all entitled to, the to your opinion, but you're not entitled to the facts because yeah. they are the facts. But then, as I said, I do think you've got to be a bit obstinate. Yep. We talked a, a moment ago <clears throat> about the people that we surround ourselves with and empathy. And so um, I have two questions. And the first one is um, a frustration that I have where we tend to greet each other and say, hi, Greg, how are you? And you say, hi, Michael, great, thanks. And we go on. And my question is, how do we give that question some meaningfulness or shouldn't we ask? Well, you're asking someone who scores pretty low on the empathy uh, scale, according to my wife. <laughs> and, and what I can tell you is she knows more than what I do. So she's right. Um, and, you know, as I reflect on what you've just said, that's mm. my behaviour, you know, Hi, Michael, good to see you. How are you? Yep. Not really all that interested in your answer um, and already thinking ahead to what we're next going to communicate. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I think it is a failure. I don't think that that is a, a good success metric for a chief executive or, in fact, any leader mm. um, over the next 20 or 30 years, I, I think the world has changed. I think the generation that's coming up now want a different relationship than, um, if you like, this wall that generally gets created and this is my space and your space mm. and stay on your own. So probably for all people of my generation, a lot of us need to go back to school and, and learn how to do it a bit differently. Um, our kids can teach us something in this space. I think they can. I think the um, one of the, the the extensions of that is um, asking each other, how often do you stop and say to Greg Foran, how are you? Probably more often than I think I do, to be honest. Mm. Um, and, and I mean that. You know, I guess quite sincerely because, you know, your initial reaction is, well, I don't, I'm busy, I'm fine, I just keep going. But actually, I I don't tend to do that. Um, I'm not someone who needs a lot of time to get their batteries recharged. But I do actually take care of myself and am interested in not just my physical health but my mental health. And if I can feel that things aren't quite right, then I will actually 
take time out to get it sorted. Often doesn't need a lot, but we're all human. And, you know, one of the things that I think is, is terrific for people to see is that leaders at all levels are absolutely human. You know, when I mm. get home from work, you know, my wife will quite often say to me, change the baby. She wants me to make sure that I leave whatever crown I might be wearing um, <laughs> down in the car. And by the time I walk in to the house, um, I'm, I'm in charge of changing the baby's nappy. And you know what? That's a good thing. Um, because yeah. A, there's a bit of a resetting that happens, but B, it's actually quite good for your health to go out and do something a bit different than you might, might have been doing for the previous 10 or 12 hours. I love that reset, I really do. Being under pressure, do you know when you're under pressure? Oh, yes. I know when I'm under pressure and I know that I'm likely to get a little snappy or be short with people and, and knowing the signs, I know when to pull myself up. So I guess my question is, do you know when you're under pressure? Yeah, I do. Um, and, and you can feel it in terms of your own physical state and, and mental state. And I guess when you've been doing it a while, you, you get better at regulating it. I would say, however, there are also times when it's good to show that you're under pressure. And it's also not that bad to put other people under pressure. You know, we tend to live our life in a bit of a comfort zone. It's just natural, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's it's the classic bell curve where some experiences are, are right on the mark and they're average, some are a little bit better, some are a little bit worse, but Within all of that, there's a standard deviation and a bell curve. Now, that's life. Hmm. But actually, if you think about it, nearly all your growth occurs when either something goes terribly wrong or terribly right. And with that comes a degree of pressure. And part of the role of leaders is to help develop people. So we shouldn't also be seeing ourselves as just creating this wonderfully, if you like, bell curve type environment where we don't put people under pressure or we don't take risks ourselves that, that could actually go wrong because it's during those periods that you actually grow. Greg, I've picked up some wonderful messages today. I have to say um, your wife has reminded me that we all need reminding that we are human beings. We need to reset at the end of the day. That's a, a great message. But I think also being able to have that team around us where we can where we can delegate somebody, some people that we share a purpose and a why, uh, but a, a, a group of people around us with empathy and values and, more importantly, behaviours that are good expressions of who we are. Greg, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Michael. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on our weekly podcasts and make sure to check out the firststeps.nz website for more tools, blogs and resources. Business leaders, change the things you can.